Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the History Hotline podcast. I'm your host Jana Lynn Cook and today I'm joined by a really really special guest. I'm really excited to welcome Hannah Francis onto the podcast. Welcome Hannah. Oh, thanks for having me. Oh, it's so good to have you here. Um, I've known Hannah through things like YHP, the Young Historians Project and through her work. I've seen her on social media doing her thing um, for quite a while now so it's a real pleasure to have her. Um, I'm gonna gonna read your bio first, introduce you properly just so that people know who we are dealing with today. Hannah Francis is a researcher and historian with interdisciplinary interests in gender, race, education and emotional well-being. They're a volunteer at the Young Historians Project, supporting the Community Education Research Group, as well as the wider organisation, to work to uncover previously hidden elements, stories and narratives within Black British history. They're also a member of the History Matters Group, helping with journal submissions and editing. They graduated with a first-class bachelor's in history, literature and culture from the University of Brighton in 2020 and went on to receive a distinction in the EMRES History of Africa and the African Diaspora in 2021 at the University of Chichester under the supervision of Professor Hakeem Adi. She has gone on to become a researcher in their day job and contributed a chapter to Many Struggles, New Histories of African and Caribbean People in Britain, on the Black Parents Movement, which was published in July 2023. She's also a member of Black and Brown Rainbow, which is a peer-led anti-violence organisation dedicated to ending violence against Black and Brown LGBTQI plus people. So welcome, Hannah, to the podcast. Thanks. What an intro. (laughs) No, honestly, the work you've done and have been doing and continue to do is actually fantastic and brilliant and across such a wide kind of forum of of spaces whether it's academic or in kind of charity and community work and yeah it's just a pleasure to have you here really so thank you thank you then we'll start with some quick fire questions as we tend to do um and one of my questions was going to be essentially why did you decide to start to study history and I've, I've noticed that you did history literature and culture Um, as your undergrad degree and I didn't know you studied literature as well love that for us Um, but why why did you pick that course then why I guess it with a focus on history but why also literature and culture as well um I think well I think it all started at school really like I really enjoyed history at school even though we were like rarely taught about black history let alone black British history uh like during the time I lived in my family home uh but I also enjoyed I really enjoyed like English English literature um I really enjoyed like uh a lot of African-American kind of literature that's kind of my introduction to it um and then I kind of got a bit more into like black British literature um so I really liked that uh for undergrad the University of Brighton offered this kind of like interdisciplinary sort of take um on history literature and culture I guess um but yeah I think uh yeah, I really loved history at school, but um, I grew up like in a particularly white sort of area, uh, you know, a very small market town, like in the southeast of England, um, in a in a pretty high earning, like middle class household. Uh, my parents didn't really have like access to wealth growing up, but my sister and I did. And I think materially our childhood was comfortable, but we experienced like a mad, a mad amount of racism. Um you know, we were in a particularly white, right wing, very classist and hostile place. So wow. at a young age, like that kind of prevalence of racism was something I, I was like hyper aware of. Um, yeah. So I think there was like, oh God, like 75 black people uh, in the 2011 census. And that's only jumped up <laughs> like 90 now in 2023. Like it's nuts. In the whole like town? In the whole town. So like oh. currently less than one. <laughs> of the population of my hometown is black um and only like 281 people are mixed and they don't even like yeah define that they don't even define what mixed means Um, so yeah the yeah hometown was not good vibes like our local mp was like damian hines who you know the kind of guy who rates amber rudd uh who was Mm. behind the entire windrush scandal for example yeah Uh, who totally votes outside of the interests of you know racialized people uh people seeking refuge or asylum here you know so bad vibes town so I think if I had to pin it to like a particular moment it's probably when 
growing up like really young actually I was keen to like maybe study history I think I wanted to study it to sort of not only know myself and like sort of the importance of community and support but sort of just reflect on the own privileges that I had growing up I guess I think sort of those experiences of racism and like yeah those experiences of racism I think I knew I had to adopt more of a collectivist mindset Mm. um and I think history was a means for me to be able to do that Um, absolutely yeah 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 and the collectivist mindset and the idea of that is kind of shone through even within the bio that we read out like YHP it's very much a collective organization um the black and brown rainbow as well like all these collective groups that kind of work instead of putting people to be like exceptional on their own um working within a collective within those that you find community in to reach these goals or you know to to campaign or to to do the work that would make society a little bit better kind of it's really shone through I'm happy you brought that up about kind of seeing the importance of of collectivism as well um you said you like started with kind of african-american literature and studies and history and that kind of thing and I think most people that grew up in Britain unfortunately are only kind of exposure to anything that dealt with race was was literally african-american issues and and civil rights or slavery if if you went there Mm -hmm. um i remember for me it was like studying to kill a mockingbird in english at school for gcse that was like one of my fave books literally (laughs) i don't know though to this day is it actually like an exceptional is it a great book do i actually love that book or was that the moment where i actually got to talk about race and talk about some of the things that were in my brain that I was speaking about at home in a classroom in an academic setting mm-hmm. and I'd be keen to know if I like I've got it on my shelf and I always mean to reread it and I haven't done it because I'm scared that I actually won't actually like it <laughs> like and it was just the moment you know and that's even grown up in well I went to school in Handsworth which is obviously very multicultural my school wasn't that much multicultural but or like uh what's the word what's the better word I don't like the word multicultural I feel like Margaret Thatcher trying to push yeah, out this like agenda a political agenda <laughs> yeah um but no even going to a school that had you know a more of a mixed population than let's say yours with less than one percent black people in the whole town let alone your school um it was still uh yeah an interesting kind of experience but keeping with our quick fire questions what would you say was your favorite historical time period let's say to study now and obviously now you've done um, a master's in research and you've taken your studies further than african-american high school <laughs> curriculum yeah, it's true um i mean i feel like a lot of people might say this but i just I love a bit of 20th century like British history like in conjunction with like the history of the breakdown of the British Empire I think it's a really important period that I don't think our state our nation state Britain doesn't do it justice Mm. I think we so often hear stories of Windrush relate to us and stories of arrival of like migrant workers and former colonies um and like people across uh, the African and Asian continents as well as Caribbean islands. Um, it's kind of always relayed as a story of like rebuilding Britain after the war and that immigrants were essentially invited to live and work here and Britain is positioned and sort of like in our nation's collective memory yeah. as an almost neutral like paternal force as opposed mm. to like this colonial giant that completely exploited the land and people of ex and present colonies, including yeah. our families, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think you know, as a person, like being of Jamaican heritage, who was born in Britain, I think it's absurd that, you know, Britain decides to tell us what our history is and how it should be remembered. So I think studying specifically Black British history in the 20th century and that kind of radical activity that was happening there. um, And not only in like the 60s and the 70s as well, like pretty early on stuff, like Mm -hmm. 1930s, like responses to like um the invasion of Ethiopia, for example by Italy like in the 30s and the diaspora coming together here specifically um yeah I think it's just such an impressive century um for us and for members of the diaspora that I think Britain underplays our role in it definitely absolutely Mm. and I feel like they do that to protect themselves um well I don't even know if it does that because it it just clearly highlights what we're not being taught Mm -hmm. um would you who would you say then is your favorite historical figure um maybe within that time period or another time um 
wall. I think, mm, I think I'd probably say it's Claudia Jones. I think, mm. you know, she was such a dedicated feminist. She was communist, mm. rejecting the exploitation of black women as workers, like in the home, in wider yeah. society. Um, you know, she was kind of like, she was in essence like a proto, like intersectional feminist yeah. in a way. She was laying a lot of the framework and the groundwork for what our understanding of intersectionality is today. Yeah. Um, you know, and it didn't like her work didn't stop despite no. the amount of hardship that she went through like even when she was deported to the UK yeah. she literally founded two um newspapers or magazines right mm-hmm. like West Indian Gazette and I think yeah. like Afro-Asian News or something yeah. you know um and I think you know she's part of a body of women who's subscribed to like overlapping and complementing sort of politics like communism Marxism Leninism pan-Africanism but their interpretations of that differs Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah I think Claudia Jones is definitely one of them and I think probably someone else maybe lesser known um yeah yeah, let's do someone lesser known as well um I think who was pretty key specifically to 20th century black history um was Elma Francois she was um she was super active in uh in Trinidad she's actually originally from St. Vincent, she was born in there in 1897, but she moved to Trinidad with her family, I believe, um, in sort of the early part of the 20th century. Um, and she was a working class black woman and she um, went on to do really amazing things. Like she founded uh, the Negro Welfare Culture and Social Association um, and they helped her organise like hunger marches uh, for like uh, sugar workers' rights in the 30s and like spurred on like national response uh, to the Italian invasion of Ethiopia in 1935. Like she, she was really doing bits. And I think she has gone uh, probably underdocumented might be mm-hmm. the word I'd go for. Uh, I think who wrote the book on her? I think it was Rhoda Ruddock or Reddick. Oh, Rhoda Reddick. Yeah. 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 Legend, legend. yeah. It's, um, it's a small book, but it's, um it's packed just full of the things that, Elma Francois did and I don't think people realise the impact that she had I yeah. think wow. um, in the early 20th century so yeah probably those two definitely I like that and I think you made an interesting point as well that the early 20th century is quite under what's the word under research under under spoke spoken about <laughs> is that mm-hmm. even a word um, but we we are in a place where I think we've been and the more I think about it, and maybe I've played into this as well with like past episodes and the kind of history I do, being like post-1948, we've been fed this really sanitised Windrush narrative. And like, I think, we're, I like to think we're at a place now where we're pushing back against it a little bit and actually interrogating what Windrush means. Why have they fed us this term Windrush? Why are we using that? Why not, you know, something else? Why is this story coming to, to the forefront with, regards to the scandal and things like that like how is a state manipulating these narratives for us making it palatable for them to look a certain way because they let all these black people into the country and they contributed so nicely to the society of Britain wow and now they're all old people and living happily here like we all know the real story but as you said like having that aside understanding the work that came before them is so important um mentioning Elmo Francois um Claudia Jones as well I wouldn't we don't really think of her as like Windrush generation because she was deported here and did a lot of the work um that kind of seems to lay the ground for that what the Windrush generation are known for stuff like carnival um so yeah it's really interesting and I think important that you mentioned that kind of early 20th century as well as everything that happens after 1948 as well definitely um so I feel like we're getting to know you quite well Hannah and (laughs) I wanted (laughs) to ask you a little bit about um the history matters journal and I think you'll know if you've listened to this podcast before that we do episodes with the editorial team of the history matters journal um to promote the work that they're doing it's really interesting and important work it's another medium to podcasting it's a journal it's written it's easily accessible it's free it's online no excuses really um but you are part of the team uh, and I wondered you know how did you become a member or part of that team why did you decide to kind of get involved with the work that was going on over there uh yeah yeah so um I think yeah I first actually so I wrote an article for History Matters I think it was in 2020 yeah 
might have been in a 2021 publication I can't quite remember now um so yeah it was before I'd actually joined and I wrote this article then when I just completed uh my MRes uh I was working in a university at the time um uh sort of like my first full-time job like outside of education that is um sort of like supporting young people like with their mental health in a small university um and I was also working part-time like in supported living and stuff so I was just like oh god like I don't know what to do with my life or (laughs) what to do next and things um and it was kind of around a similar time as well that a couple friends of mine uh we actually founded like a local YCL branch a young young communist league branch uh in Brighton and East Sussex um and I actually had really little writing experience before this like outside of uni um so I think when I completed my master's degree and I was kind of getting a bit more involved uh with some friends and in some kind of like local politics and stuff um you know I had I had a meeting with Professor Adi um and History Matters member uh, A.S. Francis, um, who you know very well. Um, and yeah, they met with me to discuss writing an article and I joined the group later in 2021. Um, it was actually really nice because like even when I was working in that university and like when I was a support worker, like my previous bosses would like let me do my work, like not even on my lunch breaks, like in my nice. downtime. So, yeah. you know, like even though some of my workplaces weren't the most diverse of places, like my specific um sort of teams yeah really supportive of the kind of stuff that was going on locally and the kind of stuff on like a broader scale nationally yeah. like what people were doing to contribute to these kinds of histories and stuff um so yeah like my first I think my first article was on it was on a woman called Jackie Berkeley um and this was actually like some extra research that I had that I hadn't written too much about in my thesis which was on um the black parents movement which was how I later developed that chapter for many struggles we can talk about that later um but oh it's right it's in your hands <laughs> I've got it I've got the book <laughs> love it um but yeah so my first article was some extra research I had left over from that on a young woman a young West Indian woman she's 20 years old um she was unemployed at the time she's called Jackie Berkeley um and she was sexually assaulted and arrested by members of the Greater Manchester Police Force in 1984. Uh, basically, she was caught up like in a street disturbance one evening. She wasn't really involved. I think maybe like one of her pals was like chatting to someone. Like basically it wasn't that deep and they targeted her. Um, and she was targeted by both male and female police officers um and all officers involved were actually found to have covered up evidence and falsified statements during the entirety of the trial but she was still sentenced to like I think two weeks imprisonment due to breaching of the peace I say with air quotes because what does that even mean um so the reason why this is connected to the black parents movement is because uh the black parents movement they're actually key to instigating and supporting a campaign in her defense um but devastatingly it was a really really tough case and because of what she had experienced um she had actually attempted to take her own life um and it was kind of what sparked my interest in sort of like how these kind of violent structures can really really rock the well-being of people but specifically black women as well um and this was uh, this was actually reported in an issue of race today in may 1985 i think it was um, so while she survived um, that attempt on her life, you know, the case proved that the police, uh, DPP, magistrate, they'd done all they needed to do, basically just issue a guilty verdict upon another innocent black woman, you know. Um, and it was it was it was a horrendous thing that I came across. But I was like. I feel like this needs to be written about um, and written about intentionally. Um, so yeah, Amelia really encouraged me to write something on that. And I think with History Matters as well, I think more generally what sort of drew me to their work is that everyone is volunteering their free time yeah. um, and specifically their free time to uncover Black British histories, which as we know, they go underserved by our education system. And that's due to a lack of resources, uh, the time that history educators actually have. 
limitations placed upon like the learning of history by our government um you know sort of we have histories this country tries to repress and I think with history matters there's this like shared dedication to doing these histories justice um and writing these histories with intention um whilst making them as accessible as possible whether that's like through our online journal or sort of like sharing them in like different events like our annual conferences and things um so yeah I think yeah a lot of things drew me to history matters but I think it's because people were just using their free time for something that they really cared about um and yeah. they all they wanted to do was just share it with people yeah. um and I just I really rated that and I wanted to do the same thing and be a part of it I guess absolutely I think as well it speaks to the amount of people that have a passion and a drive to want to do this, like you said, give up their time literally to write about or edit or talk about or put on events um, or relating to black British history. And if we listen to like, you know, the British government, you'd think that nobody cared and not a single person wanted to know or do this work. But actually, in fact, just like YHP, there are so many young people that care about this work, that care about learning more, that care about educating other people. And it's quite nice when you find like a group of like-minded people that are kind of all on the same mission and willing to do the same thing, essentially. Um, I guess that kind of links into probably why you joined YHP as well. Um, YHP being the Young Historians Project, if anybody has been living under a rock and doesn't know about it. Um, Come on, people. <laughs> oh yeah, how long have you been in YHP? And um, again, why did you choose to join it? I'm sure your reasons are kind of similar, but... Oh God, how long <laughs> have I been in YHP? Oh my God, I can't even remember, you know. I think it might have been... Probably maybe not 2020, oh, 2021. Yeah, I think 2021, or sorry, before 2021, because I joined in 2021 and you were already there. So, mm, so maybe it might have been in the last couple months, maybe, that I was doing my MRES degree. Yeah. Um, so I'm pretty sure I've been in YHP for at least two years. So I'm going to say 2021. Yeah. Um, and I actually joined um again because it was kind of similar to with history matters because it was around a similar time um I had a couple friends that were already in YHP um my friend Joshua Ocampo um who's a wonderful historian (laughs) yeah damn right wonderful (laughs) historian wonderful archivist um and he was like yeah yeah join YHP and I had um I think this was an earlier chat I had with Professor Addy before I had considered joining um history matters I had a chat with him and I was like I really want to carry on sort of contributing to the uncovering of these kinds of histories but you know I don't want it to just be some like self-serving thing I don't Mm. want it to just be like you know it has to be a paid day job and I have to do this and I have to do that you know I just I really wanted to sort of obviously I needed to pay rent <laughs> um and so I was working as well um but I still really wanted to write history yeah. and I wanted to write history with people that wanted to write history yeah um so I joined YHP I think uh particularly because a lot of people were a similar age to me obviously we're all 16 to 25 um everyone's a descendant um of uh the African continent or uh some of the Caribbean islands. Um, I think some of the young people that are in, well, all of the young people that are in Young Historians are pretty inspiring, to be honest. Like, we literally do have people that who joined when they were 16 and they just, the knowledge that they already had to bring to the table was unbelievable. But I think specifically, it was young people that had this knowledge and they knew absolutely that they wanted to share it, which was a key thing. Because I think, like, when you go to like university and that, or if you have these kinds of interests when you're sort of in college and stuff, these sorts of spaces that celebrate history in general can be very cliquey, can be very elitist, yeah. um, not particularly inviting, can be kind of racist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I'm not feeling that. No. So yeah, YHP was definitely the place for me, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah and I just ended up like, making like sound sound mates as well including yourself my babes Um, (laughs) it's been a real joy to uh sort of be a part of YHP and to see um it's nice because you kind of watch people grow into the historians there yeah they're gonna um, be yeah definitely it's 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 really amazing to see I think so yeah um definitely everyone is if they're not already a historian they're on their damn way to doing yeah 
absolutely (laughs) and then even the people that like don't necessarily like they do the history degree or they do the like a level and whatnot and then they they're like no I don't actually want to do that as my like bread and butter I guess your nine to five but Mm -hmm. I'm still like in it to like contribute to these stories and to do this research and um yeah it's it's quite remarkable because as 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 I say as I've said people will try and tell you that this stuff's not interesting I'm telling you people are interested they are interested they're buying the books they're listening to the podcasts Mm -hmm. they're doing the work um so yeah it's definitely really cool to see that as well for sure um so I think you've touched on the chapter you've written in the many struggles new histories of African and Caribbean people in Britain which was edited by Hakeem Adi and it came out July I think July this year um and actually have it in my hands right now uh if you haven't already bought it then what are you waiting for uh it was published by Pluto Press you can get it on there don't get it on Bezos's website get it from Pluto Press <laughs> or a small independent black bookshop I think New Beacon Books have it as well um so there's no no excuses there really um but essentially um the book is um a collection of chapters essays long form essays uh by quite a few cool people um Hannah being one of them and they've all written about a variety of topics that kind of relate to the histories of African and Caribbean people in Britain um and I feel like Hannah's chapter actually if if you're listening to the podcast in order and you listen to last week's episode which was about my PhD which is about education then this follows really well and I'm really excited that this has happened in this way because now we're talking about education and also the kind of resistance to the racism that was being made out by the state to black children especially and and Asian children as well um we sometimes we separate them now because political blackness isn't a thing well it is people will try and push it but it it shouldn't be um but they were kind of part of that as well um and I noticed about your chapter obviously being about the black parents movement and you've mentioned um Jackie Berkeley as well and um about Cliff McDaniel and the campaign and that's all in there but I kind of wanted to talk to you first about the archives um and maybe the George Padmore Institute um and kind of how you kind of are able to do this work because we always talk about like people doing the work and talking about the histories but like how how does one do that and obviously you've, you've got historical training from uni from your undergrad from your master's but um, where did you kind of start in a sense with this work yeah so um good question um thank you, thank you. <laughs> so I think I might have said a little earlier on um the chapter was basically a condensed version of my MRes thesis yeah um, so a lot of that research was done uh whilst I was a uni student um so obviously I came across the subject of the Black Parents Movement as a whole during my time studying with Professor Addy. Um, and I'd previously sort of looked at like history, literature and culture, but and I wanted to still keep up with exploring themes that I enjoyed within my undergrad. So things like motherhood, community, um, resistance. And I was, yeah, I was just very keen to carry these forward in some way, but in specific relation to Black British history. Um, so I was like looking into black women's movements, uh, sort of the targeting of black m- mothers and their children by police forces, like the case of Cynthia Jarrett, Cherry mm-hmm. Gross, uh, sort of in these attempts to exert power over black people in Britain. Um, and after some very lengthy supervision from Professor Addy, <laughs> we settled on the black parents movement. Uh, yeah. And he sort of mentioned when we were discussing the usefulness of black led archives in one of our meetings. Um, and George Padmore Institute was one of these um, black-led archives. Um, the George Padmore Institute was actually founded um, by John LaRose who, and um, his late wife, Sarah White. Um, but John LaRose um, founded the Black Parents Movement as well. So they were massively connected. Um, and he donated all of his papers to the George Padmore Institute to make sure that this history was documented somewhere. Mm. Um so I did, I, I visited the archive. I literally just Googled them on their website, got in contact and said, I'm really interested in this subject. Uh, I think I'm struggling to know where to start. Um, and I figured out I kind of wanted to round it down to, because there is so much history with the Black Parents Movement, you know. Yep. Um, like my chapter in particular focuses specifically on its founding in London and its expansion in Manchester. Um, Manchester was where one of the biggest sections of the Black Parents Movement was in the country. Um, But that being said, 
They also had one of the largest sections in Bradford, which worked in conjunction massively with the Asian students movement. Um, So I visited the archive and I spoke with their archivist, Sarah Garrod, um, who was an absolute joy. Um, She helped me sort of sift down um, the kinds of collections I wanted to look at because I was really keen on looking at its founding history um, and how the organisation worked and then its key campaigns. Um, So she really, really helped me with that kind of structure. Um, And actually, I I went, I visited there a couple of times over the sort of summer I was doing the main bulk of the research. Um, And it was just before Sarah White actually passed, but um, I bumped into her. I was the only researcher there at the time. And she came upstairs. She was in her 90s, you know. She came all the way up and downstairs. Those stairs are treacherous. Treacherous. I almost broke my ankle myself. I'm only 24. But <laughs> she's she came upstairs and she just, she lit up the room and she was just so full of knowledge about the BPM. Um, and she was she was very aware of the fact of her positionality of being a white woman. Yep. Um, but she had done so much work to support John LaRose not only John LaRose, but the black community in general. Um, And she was just, she was so, so helpful. Like she was calling people on her phone that were in the black parents movement and letting me have conversations with them. Like she was such a joy. And I think I was doing this during COVID. Like Mm. I couldn't go to any university libraries. I couldn't get, there's this little thing called a sconal access card. Yeah. yeah, so where you go to all the it's uni libraries, ones, like yeah. wherever, couldn't even register for one of them in 2020, man. Oh, wow. Like, I was like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? Yeah. Really, really was the people that support, mm-hmm. found, work at black led or more socialist leaning archives that were just, that really, really helped me through that. Yeah. Obviously, alongside Professor Addy's supervision it was people like that in places like that in those black bed archives that really, really got my work to where I wanted it to be, Mm. you know? And it's not just my work. This is just, I'm just writing about the work of the people that laid the foundations for this kind of stuff, you know? Um, So yeah, working with the archives was amazing. Uh, Shout out Sarah White, shout out Sarah Garrett. um, Shout out Roxy Harris, who had a nice phone conversation with me. Um, And also like, I accessed a couple of tapes from like the Black Cultural Archives as well, yeah. which is obviously one of um, the sort of most well-known Black-led archives here in Britain. Um, and Rhoda Boateng, she sent me some recordings. She sent me um, scannings of some documents and things when I couldn't go in and access this. Like people were so flexible yeah. and willing to help again like sort of writing something like this became a collectivist activity in Absolutely. a way um i had the same literally the same experience shout out rhoda she saved my whole masters because oh, rhoda they, because how was uni libraries like now nah, we're not opening fine it is lockdown but like it was literally those are sent literally sending manning their emails and sending me as you said transcripts oral history recordings I went to George Padmore I think I went in like maybe like November or like just that window where things opened up a little bit but only one like you said only one person could be in the room at a time and like you had to wear a mask all day long literally like if it wasn't for that like and the unis weren't exactly what's the word they weren't really accommodating I'll say of of deadlines and everything during people we need to talk about this more I know there's like campaign students are doing a campaign against universities for like loss of um time during covid but they also need to talk about like the fact that they were so unrelenting with deadlines it's ridiculous Mm -hmm. i don't want to take us off topic but um you mentioned a really important point there like the writing of these histories is not just done in a vacuum it's not just one person that does all the work it is as you said a collective um kind of exercise it is the archives it is the support from people like um, professor hakeem supervising the work it is the willingness of them to go above and beyond and go from their own knowledge and take out all the things that they know and like pour that into you as well and for then you to be able to do that work so defo shout out all those people um and their continued work you know even beyond covid and whatnot 
Yeah, man. I think just sort of, if I'm allowed to like... Go, go. I think <laughs> what you said about Professor Addy as well, like he... You, you're right in that universities in general were unrelate, unrelenting with deadlines. Like, and I personally really struggled. Yep. So I'm not going to lie, mental health was absolutely in the bin at that time as well. Bottom of the bin. Oh, mate, it sucked. And a lot of people can share that experience, right? Yeah. Um, but Professor Addy, not the university, mm-hmm. Professor Addy was the one who was like, okay, what kind of support do you need? Yeah. What kind of support actually works for you? I'm not talking about, you know, necessarily going through university formalities, but what's going to work for you right now? Um, so we ended up having weekly meetings just yeah. to check in, uh, just to see how much I'd written that day, um, figure out strategies to get me motivated again, to get me in a more positive mindset. Yeah. Um, it was a really tough time, obviously, during covid um, so yeah, just not credit to universities, mm-hmm. credit to the people that make university experience bearable. And yeah. that is people like Professor Addy, that is people that work in community archives, yeah. in independent black led archives. So yeah, just big up all of those people. Absolutely. And it's like a natural kind of progression to this point. I didn't plan to talk about it, but um, with the situation with the literal masters that you did and Professor Addy's role now being made redundant and literally you're a testament to that work to that course to everything that was that he had put into find, founding that course and then running it and it's quite interesting well when I interviewed him on this podcast about it I didn't realize that the course had always been online um so for you I guess well for me when I was doing my master's and it was like 2020 March and they were literally like go home library's mm-hmm. closed uni's closed everything's now online the first like three or four seminars online were literally just everyone was just panicking like can we hear you does the tech work like you guys were doing that you you were there worldwide international cohort international i'm talking like hong kong canada yeah um all across the uk um i think one of our students was uh visiting family in the african continent at one point as well yeah but still like because we had all of that set up because it was originally it was originally an online course for distance learners uh, for people who may not have had a traditional route into education Um, so you know it wasn't a course just made for middle class people that were interested in history and wanted to write something I mean like this was a very very intentional course for people of black descent to be able to access these kinds of histories able to write about them be able to share them and document it um so it just the course was organized just so so well and so in covid it just it was just it was a nightmare still because obviously universities were not golden during covid whatsoever and especially the university of chichester um are we surprised (laughs) no we are not (laughs) however um the way in which hakeem had almost designed that program was to allow for flexibility for people that might have childcare needs for people that um might not have had all the money to be able to do um I don't know like an MA in black history yeah. in the heart of London where it's going to cost you like 12 grand minimum yep. do you know what I'm saying like you know it's a very very intentional um set up in terms of that course yeah. um, and it's just devastating that it's been axed it's absolutely devastating um I'm really hoping that I mean I'm not entirely sure what the plans are but it would just be wonderful like I don't know if another institution mm. can pick it up yeah but, you know the campaign group are keeping it strong Definitely. you know the message strong and I'm really glad that they are but it's yeah it's an absolute travesty that's been axed absolutely Um, And if you are listening and you do want to further find out about that, there was an episode I did, I think it's number 113, but also um, visit the website, the History Matters website have a section of the page that's dedicated to that. There's also um, an MRES, like Save the MRES campaign. You can find them on Twitter as well as a website as well. Um, I'll leave all of those details in the show notes so you can, you know, look at that at your own, um, what's the word, at your own leisure. That's the one. At your own leisure and um, find out what's going on there because as it's been made very clear, like there are, this history is popular 
and don't let society and these universities and institutions tell you or convince you that they're not they absolutely are and they're not only are they popular they're also extremely important um and it's shocking to me that we're moving in the direction of having less of these departments like goldsmiths and these these masters and these modules and these courses there's so many institutions moving away instead of moving towards them i thought we were supposed to be getting more progressive as society and time goes on and it's just going backwards to me um but we won't dwell too much on that at this point but please do go on to the show notes um, and find out more about that if you haven't already um kind of educate yourself on what's happening there um back to your chapter because i don't want to kind of finish that just yet um we spoke about the archives and kind of how you were able to do this work um what was i don't know like for anyone that hasn't read the chapter yet what was your kind of favorite thing to not uncover but I always feel like his historian work is a little bit like detective work. You're kind of like finding the stories in the archives and then, you know, you're writing them out and, and explaining them to people. Um, kind of what was your like most maybe significant thing that you kind of found or wanted you would you the message you would want to get across from that chapter and that work that you did on the Black Parents Movement? Oh, good question, man. Thank you. Um, I think I think before getting into the archives um, and really, you know, getting into sort of like the nitty gritty of it all, I didn't realise how interconnected and active um, sort of parent, student organisations were and how strong that collaboration was at that time. Um, And I think it was just so inspiring, to be honest, to see... That I mean, with Cliff McDaniel, for example, yeah. um, you know, he was beaten, falsely arrested by police just outside of his school, um, just because mm-hmm. he <laughs> was his two mates. Uh, the three of them were young black boys in their school uniform on their lunch break, literally just chilling, walking down the road. Uh, police completely targeted them, picked on them. They yeah. were racist. Um, and sort of so cliff mcdaniel he was known to a supplementary school in the area yeah. in north London. uh i believe it was actually which supplementary school was it? i think it was the george padmore supplementary school which is where john narose also sort of helped out too um he was one of the key teachers and founders um and you know a lot of young people caught wind of what was going on uh actually one of the young people with cliff mcdaniel was one of LaRose's sons. Um, and obviously, LaRose and a lot of his sort of friends here were very politically active in black organisations. Um, and a lot of these kids were like, this is mental. Like, how is this happening um, still? Um, and I'm talking like this is in the 70s too. Um, but And this has been going on for a very, very long time already in Britain. Um, and just that sort of coming together, yeah. I think, of young people and their elders is something that I feel like maybe I lacked growing up. Yeah. I think maybe a lot of like young black and young black mixed race people might have lacked growing up as well, is knowing that we actually do have these connections with our elders. Mm-hmm. And I think often these connections are in very, very recent history. Yeah. And I think there's so many, I think, I think especially in like this post-2020 arena of anti-racism and it's very much been taken over by you know in terms of like I suppose this is true globally as well but I think on British soil it's just been taken over by corporations you know it's all very tick box EDI here Mm -hmm. anti-racist charter there but do we stick to it Mm -hmm. no we do not Herman Chichester University (laughs) (laughs) but just sort of um in this sort of post 2020 arena that we're in at the moment I think yeah we could just really benefit from like actually still putting these practices into place of young people and elders working together and people are still doing that these days as well we just feel like we can't see it because our state is trying so hard to crack down on it um elders um in our community that are organizing and young people in our community that are organizing as well they're really trying to crack down on it um so with this chapter yeah my message is we gotta revive it man we need to revive some kind of parent student or 
elder young people collaboration and I think it is definitely still present in Britain absolutely Mm. there are people still putting in that work um but it needs to be sort of on a national scale seen by all of us you know and I think when I went to the archives and I read through handwritten papers um things that were written on typewriters like some of their (laughs) meeting minutes and stuff like this sense of community and love that was shared yeah. in, you know, centering, you know, the interests of black people and advancing those interests as well. I think it was just so strong between parents and their children. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it's something that we need to be seeing and we need to have more access to to know that actually this does work. These methods do work. Our state might be cracking down on us, but these methods do work. Mm-hmm. We have to work together, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it's a bit waffly. No, <laughs> I completely get the point. Um, and I was thinking, you mentioned as well about the way activism is today. It's very commercial. Um, mm-hmm. I also find it's very, like, it's very much tied into consumerism as well. Um, and I was thinking also, it a lot of the activism that we do, if we can call it that, is done online. And I think this is where the break with the generations comes because the kind of activism our grandparents' generation or even our parents' generation is not on Instagram, it's not on TikTok. They are not, they aren't accessing that and we aren't (laughs) coming off our screens long enough in some cases. So we've kind of got to, and we have to find a platform essentially that works for both generations or across generations, which Mm. will be, will not be online. Um, Mm. And until we kind of realise that, I think we've got to do more than black squares on a day in June in 2020, um, then we won't really get much further. Like with the situation um, with that Asian hair shop owner in Peckham, you know, people got onto the, the streets. They're outside that shop. That man's shop hasn't been open since, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Like that's the kind of activism we need to see more of. And I think, unfortunately, like we saw with George Floyd, it, it's not until things get really bad and really dire that people come outside. But I think we need to come outside for less, which is also very scary and a difficult thing when the police is such a racist institution and it is such a risk on ourselves on our lives to step outside and be in these spaces sometimes but yeah lots to think about um but an interesting point and I think drawing from the lessons of the past is something that I took from your chapter as well like there are so many important lessons in the way that things were done back then um that we can still do now because this is in living memory most people our parent generation they were definitely alive then they they were there they've got the recipes (laughs) we're saying it's history and it is yeah but you know it weren't that long ago nope you know and history is still being made today you know you know i'm there are people organizing we're just not we're not seeing it man seeing it there's scary legislation coming into play we can't protest in particular ways we can't present in particular ways it's more of a risk for people who may not be a UK national it's more of a risk for people um who do not have the funds to be able to get legal support if they do run into the police and are hurt or subjected to the criminal justice system um you know darker skinned black people Mm -hmm. it should not be on them to be present all the time at these protests when they are more likely to be the ones who are subjected to specifically that kind of violence from police. Absolutely. Um, I think there needs to be a reflection on people's positionality. And I do kind of agree with you in terms of like, you know, sometimes we do need to get off the screens. Mm. <laughs> but also, I think there is a sense of like, you know, there's a lot of organising going on still. And sometimes we just need to bridge that gap uh, between generations and just come together. And like, there is so much that our families, our elders you know, like real figures in the sort of black community, yeah. us younger people. And there probably is something that younger people could bring to our elders as well. And I think, you know, we need to be given the space to be able to share that. And I think living somewhere like Britain, it's actually becoming increasingly more difficult to be able to establish those places, which again, the state tries to keep under wraps, but they're really, really trying to, take out these spaces one by one you know absolutely exactly how they did it in the 70s (laughs) targeting shabins targeting restaurants targeting youth clubs you know yep um it's exactly the same exactly the same tactics same tactics different day 
Indeed mm-hmm. it is. Right, Hannah. Thank you so much for sharing so much of your work um, and about yourself on this episode. I've, it's been a pleasure. I knew it was going to be great. I knew it. And it has been. So I'm so, so happy. Um, and thank you for making the time to to be on the podcast today. Um, I was thinking whenever like I have a guest on, I'm like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to title the podcast. But um, I never really ask, but I'm going to ask you. And I, I just jotted down. I think Black Parents Movement and Intergenerational Activism featuring Hannah Francis that might be the other title um if you're listening and this is a title then Hannah liked it <laughs> um if not then she didn't it will have a different title but I think it's it's an important message I think to go with um if you are listening and we've mentioned so many ways and so many causes today that probably need some activism some activists um so you know be inspired by the work that's been done and, and that will continue to be done uh, if you aren't already feeling that um, do you have any parting words, Hannah? Do you have anything you'd like to leave us with? Um, or if you want to share your socials or anything like that or any of the organisations that you're in just to plug and support, then please take the time to do that now. Oh, OK. Um, well, I'm going to plug History Matters Journal. Nice. Uh, you can find us at historymatters.online slash journal. Um, we're always taking submissions for things. Uh, our email's on there, H-I-S-T-M-A-T-T-E-R-S at gmail.com, histmatters at gmail.com. So yeah, hit us up if you've got anything interesting to submit on Black history, Black British history. Um, oh gosh, what else? Yeah, I've been off work recently and sort of researching on and off, trying to get back into the game from this week. Nice. Um, so, you know, you can hit me up on Insta, uh, at silly underscore e badu uh if you know me or uh if you're interested in like getting to know me or like working on anything cool uh yeah man and just uh yeah support history matters support young historians support members of your community um and yeah just uh big up to Deanna as well for this wonderful I've been listening for quite some time thank you thank you and I'm actually like really really honoured you asked me to be on this so yeah just thank you so much for having me and for like platforming a lot of us and a lot of these histories so yeah you're doing a sick job man thank you thanks Hannah gosh you make me shy um (laughs) right all of the things that Hannah's just said is also going to be in the show notes so if you missed any of that then it'll be there as well but thank you so much for joining me and everyone that is listening have a wonderful week goodbye